And uh, it's an honor and a privilege to uh, have a church planner come in and speak to us about God calling him to a city to plant a church. Uh, we have a great missions program, and we see down our hallway we are supported over 60 different missions works around the world. And it's been some time since we've been able to support a church planner potentially. And uh, we know that uh, we don't need more churches, we need better churches. And uh, so I know this man that's going to come and present the word tonight um, is solid in his doctrine and his beliefs. Uh, his name is Race Johnson. His wife is Rachel Johnson. She couldn't be with us tonight. She's uh, at the hospital. They're expecting twins, he told me, uh, this coming Saturday. So uh, they've got a lot to be uh, in prayer for, uh, health of mama and babies and uh, the healthy uh, birth of the babies as well and his mom's health as well there. Uh, but they do have a, a little one, Leo, uh, full of energy from what I've heard and talking to race. And uh, so they are, uh, he served two years on staff at Bible Baptist Church, Mount Orb. And then he's spent the last seven years on staff at Faithway Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. And so he is going to come and present the word tonight and his call to the city of Georgetown, Kentucky. So make my brother race feel welcome as he comes this evening. Yeah, so uh, you can always hear in the crowd who the grandparents are and who the parents are. Because when I say I'm having twins, the parents are like, ooh. And the grandparents are like, yeah, excited. No, but uh, my wife, she's not giving, she, I don't, at least I don't think so, uh, having the children right now. So uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, she is, uh, she had to go to the hospital Monday for some high blood pressure, and then uh, she decided she liked it so much that she would stay there. So she's going to be there for a little bit. Uh, but Saturday, it's looking like they're probably going to go ahead and deliver the twins. Uh, so please pray for us uh, in that regard, if you would. Uh, we're definitely going to need it. Uh, but uh, I have some prayer cards. I'm going to uh, unfortunately have to mail them to you guys. Uh, we moved last Monday, so our lives are just kind of up in the air and crazy right now. Everything's in boxes. So we're, we're slowly unpacking everything, but I'm sure your uh, pastor and staff will put those out as, as soon as you guys get them. Uh, but Georgetown, Kentucky is, uh, if you don't really know where that is in Kentucky, there's not really much reason to know where things are in Kentucky, because usually Ohio people just travel through Kentucky to, to go to the beach. Uh, but it is the promised land. Uh, but Georgetown, Kentucky is about 30 minutes north of Lexington, or if you've ever been to the Ark, it's 30 minutes south of the Ark. So it's always a good reason to go down there, a uh, good place to stay. It is uh, in Scott County, and Scott County is currently the fastest growing county in Kentucky. Over the last five years, they've had about 17% growth. Um, and, and some statistics is um, there's 70 to 80% of the people that are in Scott County are in church. They don't go anywhere. They don't attend church. Uh, and so our heart is to, to be a church there, not just a church, uh, but a church that preaches the gospel, a church that loves people, uh, in a church that is solid, um, that is our heart, that's our desire. Uh, out of all the churches that I know there and all the, uh, the, the pastors that I've met, there's really only two churches there uh, that are, are gospel-preaching, uh, Bible-preaching churches. Um, and with a population of 50,000 just in that, that community, um, it's, it's just not enough. And so God has called us to go there, to be a church there. And uh, uh, as, as you're your assistant pastor said that we are, um, our, our family is expanding rapidly, and so our plan is uh, to kind of get the, get the twins born, get a little bit of a 
routine as much as possible with twins. I don't know if that is possible. I'll let you know here soon. Um, but we're, we're going to begin uh, a house Bible study or a house church uh, in January through March. And then Easter Sunday is, is going to be our first Sunday uh, together. It was kind of hard uh, to not have service on Easter. Like, I, I can't just not have a service. So um, we started talking to some different places. Uh, we actually, I was inspired by your pastor, uh, hearing that you guys met in a hotel. And so I tried some hotels. Um, that was unfortunately out of the question. Very expensive for our area. And so couldn't do that. But we went and talked to one of uh, a bunch of the schools. There are nine elementary schools that we have in our, our town, just our town. And uh, so I went around talking to different ones. The uh, athletic director uh, started going to these schools with me to help me find one of them. And we ended up finding one. And it was cool because we were looking for two months. And we eventually ended up at the one we were going to be meeting at. And the principal actually started the same time we began looking. Uh, and he's a Christian man, and he's, they're excited for us to be able to have church in their school. Uh, and this is the craziest part. Not only are we able to have service um, and it's going to be affordable, but we're able to have service in the school. Uh, but they actually want us to be involved throughout the week somehow, which is, which is beyond me. I, don't, I didn't even ask. I thought it was going to be like, hey, we'll do our thing, y'all do yours. But they actually want us to be involved, whether that's doing things throughout the week for the teachers, uh, whether that's coming and just encouraging the kids, whatever we can do, they want to get in contact with us and uh, get, get us plugged in. So God is just kicking doors wide open for us. And uh, we're just walking through all the doors that we possibly can. Uh, so a little bit of our story uh, of how we ended up in Georgetown and being church planners is, is uh, a little bit of a winding road. When I was first saved, and as long as I could remember, I always wanted to be a missionary in Japan. And I'm sure that's what I told your pastor for the longest time. That's what I told everybody for the longest time. Hey, I'm going to be a missionary in Japan. I actually went on a missions trip there when I was uh, 19 or not really a mission, it was kind of just a, a trip. For two weeks, I stayed with a pastor. I, I, I loved the city. I loved the people. And this is what I was going to do. Uh, but about uh, so much so that when I met my wife, I even told my wife, hey, if you're not going to be a missionary, if you're not going to Japan with me, like, we're not doing this. And obviously she said yes. And so then, uh, then we got married. Uh, but as we, as we, progressed in life, uh, about two years ago, we began God to feel, uh, we began to feel that God was moving us away from Japan, moving us away from missions to uh, do something else. And uh, we began to feel God calling us to maybe plant a church here in the States. And um, for me, it, it, I had to take some, a lot of time with that because uh, this is what I'd always planned. I'd always planned my whole life would be uh, being a missionary in Japan. I'd start learning the language. I'd start doing all these things. I began to get connected with pastors. And I'm like, God, why are you changing this now? And uh, as we began to pray, as we began to seek the Lord, it became more and more clear that that's what we were supposed to do. And so I, I sought counsel with some different pastors. I, I met uh, Bryson Thompson and uh, began to talk with him. And he's like, hey, if no one's going to follow you out of your church, that's probably a bad sign of your leadership. You, that's something you should begin. If you're looking for a starting point, pray about that. And so I began to pray about it. And uh, one day I was up preaching and I, uh, I went down and, and uh, a guy I discipled for seven years or, or over the last seven years uh, came up to me. He's like, hey, can I talk to you real quick? And I was like, yeah, sure. And no one in the church had known I was, I was going to plant a church in the States. And uh, he's like, hey, if you ever go to start a church, I'm going with you. I was like, 
you better pack your bags, man, because uh, like God was serious about this one. It's like, all right. And the cool thing is that they are actually going with us. Uh, they got their house last Saturday, and they're moving down there. And then not only that, but someone, this is how important discipleship is. Uh, I discipled him, and, and he's going with us. And then the person he discipled is also going with us. And so that is how crucial discipleship is. Um, uh, and so we began to pray more. It became more clear when I got ordained. Um, people kept coming up to me and be like, we're, we're going to be so sad when you go start a church. And I even said that we were going to start a church. It was, it was like, people were just confirming what, what, God had, um, what God was speaking to our hearts. And God confirmed it out of his word. And uh, so as we, as we were uh, pursuing this, we began to pray about it. We, we knew, we talked about it with our pastor, we, we talked about it with the church, and then we needed a location. Uh, and so I went, uh, we knew it would be around Lexington, that uh, God just had our heart there. And so we began to go all to these cities. I, I went to a city called Richmond, Kentucky, which is south of uh, Lexington. I was like, Man, this place is, there's a lot of people here. I was like, Lord, this has to be it. There, look at all these sinners here. There, there's a college here. This is it. And, uh, and I got back to the church, and I was like, preach, I think this one's it. He's like, are you 100%? I'm like, well, I'm like 99. He's like, no, are you 100%? I was like, I don't really know what I'm looking for, honestly. Like a, maybe a voice from heaven or like a Paul on the journey kind of thing. Like maybe I need to go blind or something. Like, I don't know, Lord. And I was like, well, this one might not be it. And so I, uh, we went to another city, Nicholasville. And I got home. I was like, Rachel, this one's it. She's like, is it? I'm like, no, probably not. And so I, I remember I was, I was sitting there. Or I was laying there at night just, just awake. And if you're like me, you just overthink. And I'm like building these lists out in my mind of like, okay, God, this city has these things. This city has these. Okay, Lord, which one is it? You've ever done that with the Lord? I didn't hear anything. Like, God, I'm trying to do this for you. Uh, would you just help me out? And I remember going to the church the next day just full of anxiety and worry and care about um, just wanting to get this right. Because if I got this wrong, then, then the rest would all be wrong. Uh, God had to be the one to call me to the city. And I, I remember you, many of you are probably more wise than me, uh, and you'd pray to start, but, but the prayers came slowly. Uh, I, I went down, and I began to pray, and I said, God... I surrender these emotions to you. I surrender these plans to you. I surrender my heart to you. God, it's yours. You'll reveal it in your own time. And what God was teaching me through the moment, well, let me back up. The, I have a, this uh, kind of uh, thing on my phone that updates with the Bible verse every day, right? And it was Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, uh, chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, I believe it's verse 24. It says, faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. You see, I was trying to figure everything out, but I'm not the one that called myself to do it. Uh, and I'm not going to be the one to reveal the next part of the plan. That's the Lord's job. And the Lord was trying to slow me down and teach me that while I was looking for the, the information, I was looking for the destination and the plans, God really wanted my heart. He wanted me to surrender the rest of my heart to him. Uh, and the moment that I did that, everything began to unfold. You see, if, if you have an anxious worry, if you have um, doubt or concern, if you're thinking about it all the time, it's usually a symptom of an uncertain heart. You really haven't given that over to the Lord yet. And I, I began to 
seek the Lord, and it was actually crazy because the next day, you guys kind of have the climax. I'm building the story, but you guys already know the end. It kind of ruins it all. But we, we began to uh, go to a new city, uh, Georgetown, Kentucky. I found it on a map. I was like, hey, let's just go to this one. Um, so we, we began to head there, and as we're heading there, now listen, my wife would tell you that she promises she had told me the story before this, but I swear that she never told me the story. As typical husbands would. Uh, but as we're heading there, she says, she, uh, she was talking to a lady in our church, and this is before we had announced that we were going to plant a church. And the lady in the church, uh, Rachel began to say, hey, we're, God is leading us away from planting a church in Japan, and we're just praying through what God wants us to do. And the lady in our church looked at her and said, well, maybe God doesn't want you to plant a church in Japan. Maybe he wants you to plant a church in the States around a Japanese-speaking people or a Japanese population, and maybe one day one of them will go. And uh, she said that she grew up in a city called Georgetown, Kentucky, and there's a large Japanese population there because of the Toyota plant that's there. And so I'm over here. I, I mean, I was blown. Maybe that was the Shekinah glory that I needed. Uh, but as we're there, it was like God confirmed everything. All of the burdens that we had, uh, God just fulfilled it all in that one city. And it was so obvious that this is what God wanted from us. And it was even cooler because uh, I told you that we moved last Monday. Well, if, go to find out that my neighbor is actually Japanese. And so we are excited uh, to, I'm excited to meet him and uh, share the gospel with him. Uh, but just pray for that. Pray for uh, the city of Georgetown, if you would. Pray for my wife. Um, that God would just uh, do something miraculous in that city. Just uh, The days are getting worse and worse in America, uh, and people are turning away from God. But uh, we know as the church that the darker our nation gets, the brighter the glory of the Lord will shine. And so uh, pray that, that, would, that we would be able to display that in that community. But this is a Bible-preaching church, so we better get in the Bible, shouldn't we? Go to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. Uh, as I, I picked this section of scripture uh, because I wanted a section that would be able to, uh, that I felt related to my life. Uh, and when I read this, it, it just showed so much of, of my own story and my own life. Mark chapter 10 read verse 17. It says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, uh, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good uh, that is God, but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Let's pray. God, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we're so thankful for all that you've done. We're thankful for all that you're going to do. God, the souls that you're going to save. And, uh, Lord, for uh, just the hearts that will be surrendered to you. And Lord, I pray that you bless tonight. God, I pray that you open our hearts to your word. And Lord, I pray that you just give me utterance uh, of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As I had read this story, I saw so much of myself in this man. And it's a story of the rich young ruler. In verse 17, it says, And he, when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him 
and asked him, good master, what should I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, usually when we talk about the rich young ruler, he gets a really bad rap. But at least look at what the scripture says. It says, when he was gone for, when Jesus was going the way, there came one running to him and kneeled to him. Now, this is one thing that I missed a lot when I would read the scriptures, when I'd read this passage, that this rich man wasn't as the Pharisees were. That, that he, would, he would ask a question just to try to get Jesus to stumble on his words, just to try to prove that Jesus wasn't the Son of God or, or wasn't the Messiah or wasn't all that he claimed to be. But this rich man came to Jesus with at least some sincerity. And they came, he came to him and kneeled before him. And he asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life. Now we have a whole generation, we have a whole world that's been asking this question. Even from this time of, this, of, of Jesus' day till today, the whole world asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And many religions attempt to answer that question, though falsely. And Jesus looks at him in verse 18, and Jesus said in him, why callest thou me good? There is... None good, but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. Look at what he said. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Now Jesus was trying to help the guy out. Before he even gave his answer, Jesus tried to help him out. Tried to give him the answer. Hey, there, there's none good but one that is God. I remember in art class, I always sucked at art class. I heard your pastor's a great painter. That was the, the rumor. But I am not. In an art class, what I would always do to pass, would I, I would start the drawing a little bit, and then I'd ask my art teacher, hey, can you come help me with this part? And she'd draw the nose. And I'd wait a little while. I'd be like, hey, can you help me with this part? And she'd draw the eye. And then by the end of the day, I'd have a beautiful drawing that she drew. And I would turn that in. And I would, that's how I passed the class. You see, the teacher gave me the answer. The teacher basically did the class for me. That's what Jesus was trying to do for this rich young man. Hey, let me draw the picture for you. Let me help you out. There's none good, no, not one. The rich young ruler had the flaw in his mind that he thought he was good. He deceived himself to think that he, he was better than he really was. But the scriptures say, there is none righteous, no, not one. Your best work, your most righteous work on the best day of your life is as filthy rags before God. It will never get you to heaven. It will never be righteous before God. It will never make your sin go away. And as Jesus looks at this man, he's trying to tell him, there's nothing good in you. There's nothing good about you. You're a sinner. But he didn't get it. In verse 20, he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. It's interesting, Matthew records it, and instead of using the word observed, he said that all these have I kept from my youth. All these have I kept. You now on visitation, uh, when we go out door knocking and just trying to talk to people, I, mean, I, I tend to run into a lot of people that I'll ask them, hey, have you ever sinned in your life? Have you ever done anything wrong? And they're like, well, 
not really. Like, all right. And we know that, that that's, that's not true. Uh, we know that all are under sin, and uh, Jesus goes and lays them out. How many in here, how many parents in here think that this rich and ruler uh, always honored his mom and his dad? No. You see, I, I figured out how, you know, as a teen, I was like, you know, I really wasn't that bad as a teenager. And it was kind of a good one. But then I had a kid. And I'm like, man, and my kid's only two. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when they're teens. Lord willing, it'll mellow out. But my little man's a fireball, and he's a snacker. Like, all he does is snack all day long. And he knows where the snacks are at in the fridge, and he can open the fridge. And so he'll snack all day. But listen, I'm working, and my wife is working hard to cook a good meal to feed my child. And I'm like, hey, I don't want you to eat during the day or, or, or right before we're about to eat dinner. And so I'll say, hey, Leo, don't no more food. Like, leave the fridge alone. I'll tell him to back away. But the moment I step away, it's like, and you hear him like rustling in there, and, and I'll be like, Leo, and kid takes off running. I mean, the moment he could learn how to run, he was gone. But guess where he learned the, the disobedient or, or to not listen or, or to rebel? You know where that comes from? You know where that heart comes from? Me. And you know where I got it from? My father. And you know where he got it from? His father. And it all started in a garden when mankind decided that they would rebel against God. And from that moment to this, we are all born with hearts that are naturally rebellious towards God. There's a holy and perfect God, but our hearts don't, don't want to listen to what he has to say. And so we rebel against him in, in many different ways, whether that's lying or, or disobeying your parents, and none of us are exempt from it. But this rich young man thought that he was much better than he really was. And he approaches a crossroads at Jesus. And look at what Jesus says. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Now that's interesting. You see, that would not have been my first response. My first response would have been like, lightning from heaven, bam, done with this whole situation, walk away. But Jesus beholding him, loved him. All right, don't, don't, let's not skip past this. This man is standing before Jesus, God in the flesh, who had seen every sin that this man had ever committed, knew every unrighteous thought that he had ever thought, knew everything about this man, and this man had the audacity to stand before the God that created the universe and created him and had the audacity to say, I'm really not that bad. But even in the midst of the arrogance and the pride, Jesus still looked at him and said, I love you. I still love you. Aren't you thankful that you didn't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus? You didn't have to work harder or do better. You just came to Jesus as a broken sinner, and then he took you in and made you new? Amen. That Jesus loved you while you were a sinner. Beholding you, he loved you. But Jesus says, beholding him, he loved him. 
and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. Man, what a deal. He's at this crossroads where he can either choose his comforts and his pleasures, or he can deny those things and follow Jesus. He, he can sell all those things and follow Jesus. But look at what the offer was. He could either live in pleasure and comfort in this world, or, which obviously he knew wasn't the answer to his question, or he would not have sought Jesus to ask the question. He knew that his riches would never lead him to eternal life, or that his pleasures would, but he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus, and, or he could follow Jesus. But what does Jesus say? It wasn't just, hey, come follow me. It was, take up your cross and follow me. Now the cross was an instrument of death. But if it had been a swift death, it wouldn't have been so bad. But the whole point of the cross was that it was prolonged suffering until eventual death. And the Romans were very good at it. And so what Jesus was telling him, he, he wasn't saying, hey, come literally die on a cross with me. He was, getting, he was talking about this in a metaphorical way. But he, what he was telling this rich young man was this, that you can come and suffer the most excruciating death with me rather than enjoy the pleasures that you have. Now the cross, after they had beaten you, Beyond recognition, they would uh, use the cat of nine tails on you until your bones were visible from the outside. And as, as you were beaten and exhausted, that you would have to lug your cross up a hill until eventual fatigue, until they would have to help you carry it up. And then as you're at the top of the hill or wherever they were crucifying you, uh, they would then drive nails into your hands and into your feet. But in the position that you were in, you couldn't breathe. And so you would have to pull yourself up on your nail-pierced hands with your back dragging upon the cross just to gasp for breath long enough until you eventually fall back down until you repeat the process over and over and over until eventual death. That was the offer that Jesus was giving this man. Enjoy your pleasures, this comfortable life you have, or give it all up Suffer and die with me. But listen, that is the deal that you all took. That's why Paul said, I die daily. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And listen, the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you crucified with Christ? It's a prolonged suffering where it's like, man, I, I, I want to do this sin. I, I want to live in the flesh, but I'm not going to do it because I'm crucified with Christ. And the reason that we sin is because it's pleasurable, isn't it? The reason we, we sin is because we like it. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to war against the flesh. I'm going to suffer in the flesh and abstain from those things because I'm crucified with Christ. Because I, I, I'm with him. And look at what it said. The saddest, one of the saddest verses, I think, in the New Testament, verse 22. And he was sad at the saying, 
and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He came to the crossroads of Christ, and he chose to walk away. And every time you walk away from Jesus, you will always walk away grieved. When you choose your sin or your pleasures over him, it will always be worse off for you. It will always lead to death. And this rich young man walked away without an answer and just as dead as when he arrived. Now, years ago, I came to a crossroads much like this rich young man. Uh, my parents, we, we were, I was a military kid, so we moved all over the place all the time. So there was not much room for, um, at least in our secular minds, for Jesus. Uh, it was always moving all over the place. And so uh, I was never raised in church. But uh, when I was about 13, my parents built a retirement house in Mount Warp. A man in like any good Baptist church, Mount Warp Bible Baptist, the, the week we moved in, we're like knocking on our door. And like, hey, did you just move here? Like, man, you see the boxes. The moving truck's still here. And so we, my mom decided, hey, we'll, we'll go to this church. And so we ended up going to this church, and a youth leader named Joe Ackerman came up and invited my uh, parents to send us kids to a youth camp, a week-long youth camp at a place called Camp Chautauqua. I thought that was a horrible idea. I was like, listen, I am a teenager. I don't want to go to no camp with Christians. I don't know any of them. What are they even going to do? They're going to preach and sing Kumbaya. I do not want to be there. But my mom looked at me, and she said, you can either pack your bags or I'll pack them for you. And so I was like, all right, I'll pack my own. And uh, I get there. I don't know nobody except my sister. Man, it was basically what I thought it was going to be. They're like singing these songs. I don't know any of the songs. They're preaching. Preacher's angry for no reason. I don't know why he's angry. <laughs> I didn't do anything. He's just angry for some reason. And, uh, but he's preaching about this guy named Jesus. And I remember calling my mom every day, asking her if she could come pick me up. And the third day, she blocked my number. Yeah, <laughs> can you believe that? Stranded. But I'm thankful that she did that, and that's a good lesson to a lot of parents, because that day, I got saved. That night, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I was tall and skinny, much like I am now, and I was terrified in the row. I mean, I was literally trembling, thinking about getting up and walking down this aisle in front of all these teenagers to get saved. Uh, but it was like the Holy Ghost just kicked me out of the aisle. I heard about this place called hell. I heard about this guy named Jesus that could save me and that, that loved me. That was a strange thing. And so I, I went up and I, I gave my heart to Jesus. But being in a family that didn't go to church and um, there, I never really saw much of a reason to go to church. I didn't know that if I went to church, it probably would have helped me a whole lot to learn more about Christ. And I'm thinking that I have to live, that Jesus is expecting me to live this life in my own strength. And so I get back home, and I'm like really trying hard for a whole year. Like, God, uh, I'm trying so hard, and then I stumble and fall into sin. And then I go and pray, God, would you forgive me? Like, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I just I stumbled, forgive me. And I would, I would, I would seek the Lord, and, and then I would try again my hardest. Man, I'm really trying hard this time, and I'd stumble and fall. And I was like, God, seriously, last time, that was, I was joking. But this time, I'm dead serious. And guess how long that lasted? Not very long. And it was this constant cycle of, like, thinking that I had to do it myself, 
trying my hardest and failing and then thinking God is mad at me and, and God's upset and he doesn't want to see me and man, I just must be the worst Christian at this ever. And I go to church and I see the pastor and I'm like, man, he's borderline perfect. And the youth leader, I'm like, he, he has this figured out. And, and all these Christians, they all got this figured out. And I'm over here, like, really struggling. And that's what I thought. And so I, I, I struggled like that for two years. And then eventually, I, I remember I had the audacity to, to pray, to actually go to God and said, told God I was done. God, I'm done with you. I, I'm done trying. If I can't live for you, then I'll live for myself. I'll do, go and do whatever I want to do. And that's exactly what I did. I turned my back on God, and I went and pursued any and every sin that my heart wanted to know. Um, I, I would do anything that I felt like doing. And uh, I got to the point, I remember one day my mom came into the room, and my, like I said, my parents didn't go to church very much. And uh, I, as she came into the room, she said, hey, Race, would you please go to church with me? I'm like, Mom, I don't, I don't want to go to church. She said, Race, please. Like, I just don't want to go by myself. I said, Mom, I'm, I don't want to go to church with you. She said, please, would you go? And I remember looking at her and yelling at her, telling me, maybe I don't believe in the God that you believe in. Why don't you just go by yourself? And I regret that day even today. But that's the place my heart was at, that I didn't even want to hear about God. I, I don't even want to think about him. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I, I tried that. It didn't work. It, uh, he, he, he's mad at me, so I'm just going to do my own thing. I'll live for myself. I'll live in my pleasure. And when I didn't, and then I got to college. And when I got to college, it was my, sophomore, my freshman year in college, my first semester. And when I got there, I, um, the weird thing was is that my life was becoming more and more successful. I was going to college for biochemical engineering. Uh, I had a car that was way too fast for any teenager to have. My parents were wealthy, so anything that I wanted, I would just ask them for, and it, I would get it. The girl of my dreams that I drooled over in high school was living in the dorm room above me and messaging me every day. It seemed like everything in my life was going perfectly, and yet I was miserable. Uh, I remember uh, thinking often about how to take my life, and I couldn't understand it. I lived for God and I can't do it, and I live for myself and do whatever I wanted, and I'm miserable. I'm like, what left is there for me? And so I remember in my dorm room one day, and no one knew. My parents didn't know. My sisters didn't know. No one knew that I was feeling this way. And so I remember going into my dorm room one day and writing out a letter to my parents, explaining to them why their son wasn't here. And I planned it all out. through my ring now. I planned it all out. I planned out how I was going to take my life, uh, but, but I needed to leave something for my parents. And I remember that night that I, I found a Bible in my dorm room, and it was still in the box, still in the wrapping in the box. I still have no idea how it got to my dorm room. And I thought, well, I should give this one more try. What do I have to lose? And so I opened it. I didn't know anything about the Bible. The only thing that I really knew about the Bible was that Jesus died for me and loved me and that Adam and Eve were naked. Those are the only two things I knew about the scriptures. And as I, as I opened the Bibles, I knew one book of the Bible, and it was uh, the book of Philippians, because my youth leader told me about this book. 
And so I looked it up, and I, and I, and I found it. And it was the first time that I felt like the Lord really spoke to me out of the Scriptures. Uh, like, like every word, God was speaking directly to me. And I'm thinking, God's done with me. He can't redeem me. I walked away from him. And then I read Philippians 1, 6, which says, Be confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, and he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm like, God, you, you can't. Look at all these things that I've done. And then I got to chapter 3, verse 16, which says, uh, Forget those things which are behind and press forth into those things which are before. I press those high mark of God in Christ Jesus. It's like, God, can you really forgive me? Like, I've tried to live this life in my own strength, but I, I can't do it, God. And then I got to Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And it was like all the light bulbs clicked. Like, like whoa, like, it's not me who does this. It's Christ that does it in me. And, and God is willing to forgive me. And man, I, I remember getting on my knees and just weeping and crying out to God and saying, God, my life is yours. Everything that I have is yours. And I remember there surrendering my whole life. And, and from that moment, I felt like God was calling me to give up my whole life, give up everything, my, my career, my, my pursuit of school, my whole future. And so that's what I did. I, I remember I called my parents. And remember, I was someone that was disrespectful and hateful and especially hated God to all of a sudden calling them and saying, hey, I'm dropping out of college to go and to work for a church for free until one day maybe a staff position opens and then I'll work for them part-time one day. And they're like, you're crazy. What on earth are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? I'm like, listen, I think God is calling me to, to surrender my whole life to him. Like, that's, that's what he wants me to do. And so, as you can imagine, uh, things were not, they didn't quite understand. Uh, they didn't go to church very often and, um, or pursue Jesus. But I came to a crossroads in my life where I could choose Christ or I could choose myself. And I knew where myself would have ended up. I knew the life that myself, if I chose my own pleasures, I know where that ends. And thank the Lord that he... He convicted me and led me back to him. But look at this verse. Verse 28. Before we read this, let me ask you, where are you at in your life? Are you at a crossroads of, of, of being in a, a scary place where like, you feel like God is calling you maybe to surrender something more to him? More comforts, more, more of yourself to him? And that can be a scary thing. Hey, uprooting my family and going to a city where I don't know anybody, where we're further away from it, man, that, that's kind of a scary thing. Or, or maybe he's, he's convicting you to be more of a witness among your family or your job. Maybe he's convicting you to step up in your church and you're fearful because it's like, man, I'm underqualified and I really don't know what I'm doing. Or maybe he's calling you to disciple somebody and, and you just, you're fearful of that. Or maybe he's calling you to surrender your whole life to him. Maybe you're at a crossroads tonight. Look at what, G, what, look at what Peter says. Peter usually says what people are thinking. 
uh, chapter 10, verse 28, it says, And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Have you ever feel that way? Like, Jesus, look how much I've given up for you. Look how much I've done for you. And look at what Jesus says to him. Verse 29, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's, but he shall receive an hundredfold, listen, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. Man, I love this verse. You realize the rich young ruler walked away before he got the answer to his question. Jesus just said, hey, come follow me, suffer and die. And then once he, the Bible says he walks away, then Jesus says, hey, the people that give it all up for my sake and for the gospels, they'll receive eternal life. Or, but look at what happens. Jesus says, there's no man that hath left house or brothers or sisters or lands. And now listen, I preach against the prosperity gospel. I don't believe that at all. But, but I believe the scriptures, and I, I've seen this verse come to life in my own life, that but he shall receive an hundredfold, listen to what it says, now in this time. You see, when I gave my whole life up to Christ, I, I had to really come to a crossroads of, man, will I choose what my family wants for me or what Jesus? And when I chose what Jesus wanted for me, the tensions between my family became pretty severe. And it came to a point where we didn't talk for a while. But you know where I, I lacked biological family, I found it in the church. And man, there are spiritual mothers that came around, and there are spiritual fathers that came and discipled me, and there are spiritual brothers that came around and challenged me to grow. And I found family that I longed so long for in the church. And when, when it came time, to, the tensions were so severe that I had to leave the house that God provided a house. And God always provided what we needed. And even in our family, God supernaturally provided what we needed with our family. When we uprooted and went to a city, it's like, man, I don't know how I'm going to afford this. this. This city is way more expensive to live in than Georgetown is, or than Maysville is. But God always provides. And God always gives exceedingly and above what we could ever think. But the question is, is, do we trust him? Do we trust him with everything? And I think it's interesting. Now listen, this isn't like, this isn't like you, you just get all these things just for being a Christian, or that, that he blesses you with these things just because just you come and you sit in on Sunday. No, look at what it says. It says that lead these, listen what it says, for my sake and for the gospel's. When you step out, when you give up things for the Gospels, Jesus always gives back more. Whether that is your comforts or your desires, when you give those things up, He'll always bless you with things that mean a lot more. You know it won't matter in eternity. It's not your job. 
No one will care in eternity what job you had or how high on the ladder you made it. No one will care how big of a house you had. No one will care. No one will care how good of a family that you had. Let me explain this one because everyone kind of gets, oh. You can have a good family and not a godly one and it won't matter nothing in eternity. You see, in four to five generations, maybe even three, my kids will not know my name. My great, 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 great grandkids won't know who I am. They won't know anything about me. They won't know that, man, I love my family. They won't know that I'm dyslexic. They won't know that I'm planning a church in horse country, but I hate horses. They won't know the things that I've sacrificed for the Lord. They won't know the friends that I had. They won't know any of these things. But if I set my family upon Christ and say, no, I'm going to raise my kids in Christ, and I'm going to teach them how to raise their kids and their family upon the gospel, they may not know my name. They may not know what I liked, but they will feel the effects of Christ through generations. And there will come a day when I stand with them in heaven, and they can know me there. Plan to make a family a godly one, not a good one. But what will be left in eternity? It is what is done for the name of Jesus and the Gospels. That is the only thing that will matter. And so what about you? What will you give for the Gospel? Will you give up your home for the Gospel? Our preacher always says there are two things that people will usually are the last things that people will give up. It's their, their wallet and their home. There's things like, ah, eh, Jesus, I'll come, but like, kind of stay away from my money and my house. These are mine. But if you surrender it all to Jesus, is not your house his? Is not your money given to you by him? Will you give them up for the glory of the gospel? Will you give up your money for the gospel, your home to like invite people in and be, be like, hey, you want to know how to live a godly marriage? Let me show you. It's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to show somebody, hey, this is how you treat your wife in Christ. This is how you love and build your family in Christ. Let me disciple you and show you. Let me open my home to you. Let's share a meal. Would you give up your time to disciple and share the gospel with people? I mean, it's the hardest thing sometimes to share the gospel because it's inconvenient. I mean, I, mean, I got to stop what I'm doing and, and, and share the gospel with this person. And it's like, all right, I've been rejected all day long. The Holy Spirit's leading me to witness to this lady at checkout, but it's like my wife is calling me, the kid's mad, the kid's screaming, the dog knocked the kid over. My wife is done with, with what's going on. She's 30 weeks pregnant. God is leading me to witness to this lady, but I'm like just trying to get out of there as quick as possible. I'm using tap pay to get out fast. But would you give up your comfort for the gospel? Would you give up your time for the gospel that even when it's inconvenient, when the Spirit leads you, you say, I am crucified with Christ and my time is the Lord's. So I'm going to stop. How about your job? Would you give up your job for the glory of the gospel? That even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard, even when it might make your relationship weird with your coworker, that you're more worried about their eternity than you are your guys' relationship? 
say, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. What will you give up for the gospel? I'm going to challenge you guys in this, and I challenge every church to this. And I'm sure many of you already do this, but let me challenge you in this. Would you witness to one person this week? And not just any, I'm praying that you would, you would pray specifically for one person. Maybe that's someone that you meet in a divine appointment. Maybe that's someone that God puts on your mind. Maybe it's a, a, a family member or, or someone that you just know is lost. Would you pray that God would give you one person this week, one person that you can witness to? And when you do, if you do, would you either send one of your staff members or your pastor a message saying, hey, I got a witness to this person, and here's what happened. Man, there's no greater rejoicing that, that we in ministry get when we hear about people sharing the gospel. There's no greater joy we get. Would you share the gospel with one person this week?